0: So I grew up in Vegas. I was born and raised there. My mother was born and raised there. So we kind of have a couple generations that really go back and are from Las Vegas. And I grew up in a wonderful home. I had excellent parents. I had an older brother who actually had more diseases and more autoimmune diseases. He was diagnosed with celiac disease when he was around five, and then at 13 was diagnosed With type 1 diabetes. So it was kind of, uh, I guess it was just common knowledge in our family to know about these things and to do the research. And my lovely, lovely mother always did the research, was always looking things up. And so it was kind of in the peripheral, but obviously that didn't consume every waking day for us. We were still people and living and doing things. Same with him. But yeah, I grew up and we were really active outside a lot. I mean, the weather's beautiful. It gets hot, very hot, but we spent a lot of time outdoors. We were swimming. We were doing all different sports. I mean, my parents really made an effort to put us into everything and let us try everything and not kind of force us into a box, which was, I mean, wonderful for us because I think I tried every sport from like tennis and swimming to soccer and basketball and volleyball and jump rope team and anything that came my way, we were we were doing it. And uh-huh. we would just be carted from one sport to the next. So really active, climbing trees, getting dirty. It was wonderful. And so that's kind of how I grew up. And then I kind of had a shift from sports to dance in my middle school years. And that kind of started my transition into the arts And that's when I started wanting to audition for shows and possibly start singing. Like, I kind of had an ability, and my parents were like, that could be something if you want. And I remember taking voice lessons and then hating them and not wanting to do it. And I'm sure it's just that kid thing where you're like, I don't want to spend my free time going to some random lady's house and having her (laughs) (laughs) judge me for an hour. Um, So... I kind of, it It took a while for me to really get involved in that and decide that that was something I might want to do. And I had a cousin who was attending this performing arts magnet school in Vegas. Vegas has these, I don't know, I don't know how common they are other places, but mm-hmm. they are these magnet schools. They're public schools, but you have to apply or in my case, audition to get into the school. And yeah, they only accept so many people. And I ended up getting in, I ended up auditioning and getting in. And so I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go there and I'll do theater every day. And so it was part of our, we did, we did all gen eds per usual, but then we just had added arts classes on top of it.
1: So what, what did you audition with? So we have a performing arts school in Nashville and I'm not mistaken, you have to perform in two completely different areas of art. Like you can do a song and then you can like play the drums or something. But I believe you have like your main one. But I think they want to see like if you're versatile. Anyway, what was your your personal audition?
0: Yeah. So we had made they called them majors, which is so silly for high schoolers to have majors. But we did. And so we had theater and dance and international studies and band like music and visual arts, I think, were kind of what rounded us out. And so I just went in for theater. I didn't have to play drums or anything with it, but I I went in and I did, they wanted to see, I think it was two monologues. So just these sections from plays that was only me talking and contrasting. So probably like a comedic and a dramatic. And then I had to sing. So I chose just kind of a chunk of a song that I think sounded nice in my voice. And then they also had us perform uh, a section of the poem Jabberwocky, Jabberwock, okay. Jabberwock. Uh-huh. Um, and it was like, I can still kind of remember it. <laughs> like, and we had to do this like physical stuff with it while saying it. And I think, they, I think they just really wanted to kind of test our imagination and creativity and willingness to go for it, like all of that stuff that I see now. But at the time I was like, okay, I'll... I'll say some words from this poem and (laughs) we'll see how it goes. So that was it. So I did that. And then obviously I sent in like my transcript and grades, but honestly they weren't super focused on grades. It was really more of, I guess, your potential in the art.
1: And so that led you, like some people go through that process and then they just go to a regular university and take whatever accounting. But Mm -hmm. you continued on the path to college, so what college? I know you went far for college. What college <laughs> did you go to, and, and what did you major in?
0: Yeah, so that is interesting that you say that because it it does happen. We had probably only a handful of us actually continue on to performing arts colleges, and some people decided that they wanted to go into more technical stuff. But I decided I wanted to be performing, and so I ended up I ended up auditioning for like eighteen different colleges. It was oh wow, it was. Oh, I was so nervous. I've always had kind of this (laughs) imposter syndrome with performance, never quite Mm -hmm. feeling like I belong, always feeling like I'm climbing the ladder, like I'm not as great as the others. So, Which I guess is a good quality because you're always practicing, but that led to the 18 18 Mm -hmm. auditions. But I ended up going to Montclair State University in New Jersey for my BFA in musical theater.
1: And so what was that experience? Because I have no clue on like what that life would be like. So a couple episodes ago, I I spoke to an opera singer. Yeah, I saw. And she went to school, obviously, to do, to study, Mm -hmm. although it was a liberal arts college. She decided not to go to just a school. What is it called? The School's Just for Music. A
0: conservatory.
1: Thank you. She decided not to go to just a conservatory, but to go to a liberal arts school. But, but, so what was college-like for you as a, as a student?
0: Yeah. Actually, MSU is just a liberal arts university, but they have a conservatory-like program. That's kind of how they advertise it. Um, I, I would definitely say that I'm grateful for my high school experience because I think it prepared me for such a rigorous college experience. I, Mm -hmm. I feel in my life that I have, I very much feel like I've always been in the right place at the right time, even with illnesses and stuff that came later. But I think that prepared me a lot for college, and so that was the right path to take, continuing on with theater and stuff. And, yeah, it was rigorous. It was pretty difficult. I ended up, me being me, I decided I also wanted to do two minors on top of my major. So I minored Mm -hmm. in business and then later in German um i know okay. i know <laughs> how do german plus business equals musical theater i don't know but that's is
1: that's there a family component to, do. to german like could you have family from germany what, why german
0: yeah definitely some family my grandpa's last name is nitz n-i-t-z which is very german but uh-huh. and he could kind of he could speak like one or two phrases, maybe, right. but the, I what I really wanted to do is I wanted to take ASL, that's what I really wanted to take uh, as my uh-huh. language, but it was so full because it's horrible. But people were like, Oh, that's going to be a really easy class, that's oh, a wow. way easier okay. language, which is not true at all. Right. There's so much to it, and I think they later realized when they were in the class. But because I had always been, I had learned a little bit in high school of ASL. And so I really wanted to continue that. But the classes would just fill up too quickly. So I thought, okay, I'll just take German. And I never felt good at language. I took Mm -hmm. Spanish in high school and was awful at it. I can't roll my R's. I just was so insecure and nervous about it that I would, I couldn't perform in class. I couldn't, they would ask me a question and my brain would go blank. So I I had a lot of nerves around taking a language, but when I got into German, it was fun, and I enjoyed Mm -hmm. it, and it was something I'd never experienced before, having fun with a language. Um, And so then I really, I was really taking to it and really practicing. I mean, like, practicing every chance I could get. I would be on the toilet doing flashcards in German just because I wanted to. and Because I also had no time. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But... Then I had a teacher who approached me and said, "Oh, have you considered maybe minoring?" And I hadn't because I was a little bit behind. I would have had to take summer classes, which I did end up taking, so I could get the minor. But yeah, a lot of my friends thought, "Why are?" They asked me, "Why are you doing this?"
1: <laughs> why are you doing this to yourself?
0: Why? Why suffer? And and so know? from
1: a from a talent point of view, how did you feel when you hit the college? Because I imagine everybody who goes to college the first year is a little bit nervous. So how did you stack up?
0: Oh, yeah, I felt like I was right back at the bottom. Like I, I mean, it's so interesting when you get into a program that's really, really small. And so it feels almost elite and you're with the best of the best. Mm-hmm. And I, I would listen to my classmates sing and it was like angels. They I mean all of them. Beautiful singers, be- so talented. Their dancing surpassed anything I'd seen up until that point. It felt I felt like a complete fish out of water. Hmm. And I and I know I made it there for a reason and I was there for a reason and I understand that. But me at 18 couldn't believe that. Couldn't right. Understand how these people were <laughs> how they how they had come to that that st- not status but level. And right. so I I mean I just practiced every every day I remember walking to the practice rooms to practice probably piano and voice and music theory all at the same time and a friend passed me and she was like oh my gosh you're always practicing you make all of us look bad and I remember thinking I'm just trying to catch up I'm just trying to I'm just trying to be at your base level so I can I hate to say compete but so I can match up. Yeah.
1: But it is competitive, right? I mean, oh, there's, yeah. Yeah. there's one role or there's whatever roles mm-hmm. and there's only, and there's a bunch of people that want it. So it is very competitive.
0: Yeah. And as much as I wish that could be different and could have been different, it, yeah, it was a lot for four years. It was a lot of competition and a lot of, oh, you're not taking extra dance classes when you could be or you're not auditing these classes it was just and not people outright I mean some people outright saying that but for the most part it was yeah just fill all of your time with this and if you're not then you don't want it enough or you won't make it in the real world which I'm learning now is just not the way it is and not the way that we should be teaching ourselves that but at the Mm. time that's that's all it was to me
1: sure and i'm sure for an 18 and 19 year old i mean that's probably what you think like if i don't mm-hmm. practice constantly i'm going to fall behind and somebody's going to pass me and be better than me so so your your freshman year is when you started having medical issues so is does that right it was your freshman year
0: I, the i guess catalyst <laughs> was freshman uh-huh. year and then sophomore year was when things really started
1: To go downhill. Okay, Um, so walk walk us through that.
0: Yeah, so freshman year, I'd always had a couple issues growing up, whether it be digestion or just energy levels being low. I later found out that it was I had thyroid issues, so I was hypothyroid, which I now am in remission for. I I guess my body felt it needed to correct itself Um, but then also PCOS which is polycystic ovarian syndrome and never never quite hit with it so intensely that it felt like a real big problem but just always on the cusp of being diagnosed with these things Mm -hmm. and so I dealt with that a little bit but without really really quite knowing and understanding what it was and so I was still like flying high Freshman year and doing really well. And I was a part of a show and we I had to be on roller skates at one point for it. And about two days before we opened, there was a technical mishap. And the person who was supposed to I was supposed to roll off stage into the wings, into mm-hmm. the backstage area, and someone was supposed to catch me because I was being pushed off and there was the stage was wonky because it was on track system, which I don't know if that makes any sense. But there was there was a drop off. Um, backstage that I needed okay. to be caught before going into that. And so I would have someone off stage ready to catch me. But unfortunately, this performance, there was a technical issue. So they swapped the person catching me and the person catching me didn't know how to catch me. Oh. And so I ended up f- just smacking right into them. And the roller skates went out from underneath my legs and I fell on my butt. Mm -hmm. Um, and me being me was just crying and out of breath. And I was like, okay, take them off so I can finish the scene. And I ended up just having, I was in a lot of pain. I didn't know what was going on, but I thought, hey, I have to, I have to continue. I have to open the show. And so we did. And two days later after that, I was carrying these giant puppets on this whole metal contraption and I had to be strapped into this whole suit so I could Uh like move the wheels of this puppet and during one of the performances the wheels stuck and so in my head I was like oh I'll just carry the contraption but the contraption was so heavy that it ended up pulling most of the muscles in my back Mm -hmm. and I went and this is on top of the pain I was feeling in my butt and so I ended up going to the doctor for it and, or actually the PT on campus, the physical therapist. And he was like, okay, mm-hmm. I, we can help the muscles on the back, but I'm really worried about your butt. I think, <laughs> I think you might have hurt your coccyx, which is that little, your tailbone, basically. Right. And he encouraged me to go get it x-rayed. And then I got it x-rayed and I had cracked my coccyx. I had broken it, mm-hmm. um, which there's not much you can do. It's just a lot of standing. But that kind of what we think, what my family thinks was the start of my health issues. Because we found out a lot of things later down the line. Obviously, I didn't know this at the time, but I have a ventricle in my brain that's a little a little narrow. It's not much like the rest of my life. It's not enough to be <laughs> like a cause for issue. It's just right on the cusp. I've always been right, right on the cusp of things medically. And so no one really um, thought anything of it. And then a year later, I was about to go to ballet class, I think, and I woke up feeling hungover. And I know people are thinking, oh, you were in college. Maybe you were hungover. But no, no, it was a Wednesday, and I'm a goody two-shoes, so I didn't like to drink on the weekdays. (laughs) Um, Okay. uh, So I knew it couldn't possibly be that. But I was really sensitive to light, and sounds were really jarring, and I just had a pounding headache, and I felt like I was moving through mud just the entire day, not knowing what was going on. And I ended up going to rehearsal that night, and as I was sitting there, I remember telling them, I I really don't feel good. I'm not feeling great, and so they let me go home, and as I was about to go home, I started having seizures, um and so they called the ambulance they took me to the hospital I couldn't remember who I was I couldn't remember my name I my friend was telling me who came with me she was saying how the nurse kept a- kept asking for my last name and I was just crying saying I don't know I don't know what it is and so my friend having to try to explain and they really they really thought I was on drugs the mm-hmm. they thought that was what was causing it. So when I got all my paperwork back from that night, it was just test after test for any kind of drug. And obviously all came back negative.
1: Right.
0: But they ended up sending me home that night not knowing what it was. I think they thought it was stress. I think they chalked it up to stress. Um, and so I was sent home. And then about a week later after... Laying in bed and not doing anything and not being able to really function at all. I had a teacher actually say, "Okay, I'm calling a neurologist. I'm going to take you. We're going to go." And I went, and that's when we learned. After like a week of testing and blood tests and MRIs and things like that, they they be, they told me it's either something psychiatric that we're going to have to call someone in for. And I was like, okay, right. that's that's one of the options. Um, and then the other was this rare neurological condition that they needed to call in an ophthalmologist for to see if I had pressure on my optic nerve because they had seen a little something on the scan and they had to do a uh, lumbar puncture, a spinal tap, to see my cerebral spinal fluid pressure. And after that test and the ophthalmologist, they were able to diagnose me with idiopathic intracranial hypertension. or It's also called pseudotumor cerebri, but they're kind of moving away from that term. Mm -hmm. Um, And we kind of think... Because the thing is, with IIH, it... There's no there's no real explanation to why it comes on. They have a theory that it's seen in women over 40 who are obese. And I am none of those things. <laughs> I was right. I was 19 and not obese and it was also could have been caused by a birth control like a birth control side effect, but I'd never been on birth control, so mm-hmm. none of nothing pointed to that area. And so I think we came to the conclusion that it could possibly be a combination of the ventricle in my brain compounded with the fact that I broke my coccyx and my spinal, because your spinal fluid moves up and down your spine in kind of like Mm -hmm. a circular motion. And so we think that maybe when I broke my butt, it just kind of started pouring into my my brain. Oh, did I describe what IAH is? It's
1: no, like the symptoms you have, you had.
0: Yeah, or what it actually is.
1: No, go go into. I realize.
0: It. See, I talk about it, and I just expect everyone to know what this rare neurological condition is. It's. it's I just, would have
1: brought you there eventually.
0: Yeah, yeah you're the you're the professional here. <laughs> um, no, it's a it's a buildup of cerebral spinal fluid in your brain, essentially. Mm-hmm. So. You have it in there to cushion your brain and in your skull, but mine had too much, so it started pressing on my optic nerves, which was causing loss of vision. And it was pressing on everything, which was causing a lot of pain.
1: <laughs> and and let me ask you, that first night that you that you said you went to the hospital and your friend came with you. Yeah. Was that the night that you ended up going home in an Uber? You don't have to tell that whole story. But is that the night you went home in the Uber? Yes. So the reason I'm mentioning that is because you, so so for my listeners, Maddie has her, you know, her podcast, which is called Brain Fart. Awesome name.
0: (laughs) Thank you. And
1: and um, you you had an episode with your friend to talk about that night. Mm And it was a really, really good episode and upsetting. uh, many many moments of it um it it makes you not super happy with some of the people in the medical profession yeah but anyway i I encourage people to go and listen to to that episode and other episodes because we're condensing things here but your podcast you have several episodes kind of taking people through this this time period which is really good so um okay so so go ahead and so now you they've diagnosed you
0: Mm -hmm. right
1: and so what does that mean? How does how does that impact you?
0: Yeah, so they immediately put me on diuretics to try and lessen the fluid in my brain and also the rest mm-hmm. of my body, and so I went on one that was actually an anti seizure medication called Topamax, and I had really really horrible reactions to it, like even worse. I can't even quite remember what they are. I've noticed that my body does this thing that if I have really intense trauma (laughs) or pain, Uh it just kind of forgets about it. Right. And so I'll have these things called brain episodes that we can talk about later. But usually the next day I wake up and I don't quite know what happened. And so if anyone was with me, they have to kind of fill me in. But that Mm -hmm. that kind of happened with this first experience. I just remember my mom because my mom ended up flying out we talked about how I'm from Las Vegas. And so there was a point where my teacher called my mom and she was like, I I think you really need to come out. It's, it's looking like it's not going to be an okay thing (laughs) and that it might affect her. So my mom ended up coming out. And so we were staying together at my aunt's and uncle's house, aunt and uncle's house. And I just apparently had woken up in the middle of the night, like, needing to puke and just like not being able to really move and just my head was feeling worse and so we went back and they switched me to Diamox which is another diuretic and I was on that for a pretty sizable and I mean not super long but definitely a couple definitely for months maybe Mm -hmm. a year but with that as well I started getting react like bad reactions where my extremities would go numb and I Um, that's, that's always the one I can remember, but I can't always remember what the other symptoms were, but honestly, just the fact that my hands and feet were going numb was not a great, (laughs) not a great thing. And I think it also, I was having a lot of brain fog and still having really bad headaches. I mean, headaches constantly and yeah, memory issues. That's kind of what happened afterwards. I think was I noticed my memory was not there <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. I had lost a lot of my memories. I'd lost a lot of my ability to remember. Yeah. I, yeah, I I remember being in a singing lesson and trying to read the sheet music and not being able to read the sheet music and just crying. And my teacher yeah. and the pianist were just... Ta- it was like a child. Like they were, they were like, okay, look at the paper. And when the note is higher on the page, it's higher in your voice. And when it's lower on the page, it's lower in your voice. And I just remember crying because I, I knew that I knew, but I couldn't right. find where the information was in my brain anymore. It felt like somebody had come into my brain and just destroyed the place and destroyed mm-hmm. it. Every, like, knocked over the filing cabinets, kicked around things, threw water on important (laughs) memories, and
1: it
0: just felt completely lost. And so I think that that's the main thing I remember after after being diagnosed was just feeling lost and feeling like my body was not my body anymore.
1: You know, listening to your episodes, there's a few occasions where I was personally... I don't know if fascinated is the right word because it almost feels like something positive with the word fascinated. <laughs> but there, I was fascinated. You had a few instances where you were completely out of yourself, right? Like you, your friend described you as being like a zombie, like not even suffering, just like staring, right? Yeah. And like you said, like you didn't even know your name mm-hmm. and, and One of the occasions was you were trying to get in they were trying to get you into an ambulance and you were like not having it You're like i'm not no i'm not getting going anywhere (laughs) And you said well, what if they asked you what if a friend came with you? And so you were like, yes, if my friend comes with me i'll go but just you still had the ability to know that You didn't know your name, but you knew that that's my friend Mm -hmm. and she'll keep me safe. Yeah, right and then the other situation was when your mom came And if you'll, you'll, you can tell, like, what did you, what did you think or or feel when your mom walked into the room?
0: Yeah, I just, I love my mom. She's just the most wonderful lady. I can't say it enough. And I will never say it enough.
1: (laughs) So again, to paint the picture, you're a college student, thousands of miles from home yeah, in a hospital, basically only being supported by some friends, some college friends. Yeah. And so then...
0: Who had really only known me like a year and a half and who were also like 18 and 19, (laughs) which is so wild. And I had teachers there and I actually had an aunt and uncle who lived close enough that they could drive Mm -hmm. to me. So luckily there was like some sort of support. But I just I mean, I felt so lost. I'm hooked up to all these wires. I've yeah, I, I didn't know. What to do. And then I remember knowing that my mom was coming, and I remember hearing down the hall like the clack of her heels on the ground. Cause of course, my mom dressed beautifully in <laughs> full makeup and hair to come to the, <laughs> to come on, go on the <laughs> airplane for six hours and come to the hospital. And she had her rolling bag with her because she literally had come from the airport to the hospital. So I hear just like this, just this brisk, Clicking of heels with a rolling bag behind it. And she just burst into the room, like beautiful, sweeping in, threw her bag to the side and just came over and hugged me. And I remember uh-huh. just sobbing, oh. just crying because I felt so, and she just was like, I'm here, I'm here and there's this hilarious photo of me in the hospital with her and her looking like beautifully made up and me in like the hospital gown with the wires connected to my head looking gone <laughs> and right but yeah i love i love that story because it was so stacey of her <laughs> to yeah, to it, do that so
1: i i I have never met her. I um, haven't heard a ton <laughs> of stories about her, but I imagine that she's always dressed nicely. Always. This, this is her, always.
0: Always. Which is just a very, is very stark contrast to me. Like, I don't think you'd look at me and think, oh yeah, that's Stacy's daughter because I am very much, I, I don't know, I mean, hair and makeup never, when you have to do it for a living and like put it on you all the time, I just don't really care to do it otherwise. Right. And so... <laughs> I would call myself earthy to her, fabulous. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and and on your episode, on your show, where you are freer, you're a little you're a little reserved because you're like trying to be polite for my my snooty audience. Oh my yeah. Audience is not snooty. <laughs> but on your show, you describe it in much funnier terms. The contrast between you and your mom. So um, yeah, people people just need to listen to that. So <laughs> it's, it's just really good. But I and I want to see this picture, by the way. Oh, I, I yeah. need to see it, so you need I'll to, send you need it to you. shoot it to me.
0: Yeah, you might have um, to remind me because <laughs> the brain thing, you know? <laughs> yes,
1: and so, yeah, so let's talk about that. So you're, you're day-to-day now, so you're on medication, you're getting different treatments, and so how much is it managed? How much does it impact your daily life at this point?
0: Yeah, so now I've done a lot of different treatments for it, just knowing that um, I couldn't deal with it with the medication they were giving me and if i couldn't Mm -hmm. deal with it that way then i was gonna have to have brain surgery and i just don't particularly feel inclined to have brain surgery (laughs) i mean if that's if that's what it comes to that's what it comes to but at the point i can kind of manage it enough that it doesn't seem super necessary um but that's kind of that's another part of it is just day to day not knowing that if one day i will need brain surgery or if one day i could mm. possibly go blind because it's pressing on your optic nerves and so those sure. kind of questions float around every once in a while i try i don't really think on them too much but that is always kind of at the back of the mind so making sure that knowing how i feel now and knowing that if something really changes or shifts but day to day i I want to say that it's, like, great and I have it figured out, but that's definitely not the truth. And that's just kind of the truth with chronic illness is that it's uh-huh. constant. It's constant. And right. sometimes I go through really good periods and sometimes I don't. And it just kind of depends. I think every day I probably have a headache. It just
1: uh-huh.
0: it kind of differs depending on the the day. I suppose. Sometimes it's really bad and it feels like I can't do anything. And there's some days where it's just kind of a whisper of a headache that I Mm. definitely feel like I can deal with. I think the frustrating part, the daily frustrating part is when I lose my train of thought or when I, like, forget things really easily. I feel like I'm doing pretty well on the podcast so far. But there might be a point where I will forget what I'm saying in the middle of me speaking, which happens a lot. Uh Or I just forget what we were talking about or what I did the day before. And my friends and family and my partner, they've gotten really good at (laughs) trying to figure out what I was trying to say or really good at just reminding me what we were talking about. So I'll kind of like stare off and not really know. And I'll begin to say that I, I don't know where we are and they'll be like, Oh, we were talking about this, 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 and this, you were talking about this. And sometimes it comes back and sometimes it's just gone off the, <laughs> right. gone away. But I think that's the daily frustration for me more than the pain. And do you,
1: and do you ever have seizure type symptoms anymore?
0: Um. So with the seizures, they were, I don't even, it's weird to call them seizures because they were like, these aren't seizures. They're not, We. it doesn't present in your brain, but it. they look like seizures. And I think mm-hmm. we call, me and my partner have just coined a lot of terms. We've, we have our own vocabulary for our health stuff now because uh-huh. it's just easier to talk that way. We kind of call them like tension attacks almost because... Okay it like my body will tense in certain ways that like makes it look like it's convulsing and i mean yeah those still happen the other night i had one not last night but the night before i had a really i don't know i think i threw my head back in a certain way while talking Uh with my roommates and then all of a sudden i was like oh i i feel off i don't something feels wrong and so martin my partner was like okay let's let's get to the bedroom. Let's just lay you down and figure it out. And then I started having those little convulsion things. And I don't know if it's a nerve thing or a muscle thing. We honestly don't really have an answer for it. But then Mm -hmm. the nerves, I guess, down my arms started, like stopped working and I couldn't move my arms for the rest of the night. Wow! I was just laying there And I don't uh, sometimes I wonder if it's a psychological thing or if it is a physical thing. I
1: I feel like that's okay. So I'm going to step in here. Yeah. So I I know (laughs) that, again, through listening to to several of your episodes that you had doctors and nurses sometimes that weren't always right. Like, oh, nothing's wrong with you. She just did some drugs or I know I believe there was one that told you you just need to eat something.
0: Oh, yeah, they just you brought know, me b- a sandwich. Before you were diagnosed. <laughs> yeah. Right.
1: Just just have a sandwich and fix you right up. And so I feel like that that's what's talking to you right now. Yeah. Like, so um, do, so I, I just have a weird question. So do you drive or do you feel like is it at a point where you, you shouldn't drive? I, I don't want to scare your mom either.
0: Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I drive. So I, I still drive. I can usually... Feel Like that moment of, oh, something doesn't feel right. I can usually feel when that's coming on, like mm-hmm. a moment. And if it does happen, I think it would give me enough time to be able to pull over and call Martin and say something's happening. And we we share our location with each other, which I think some people are like, oh, you, you trust them enough? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course. And especially in this situation, if something were to go wrong or if I'm not responding, we can just kind of see where each other is at. Honestly, I I work from home, so I'm a freelancer. Mm -hmm. When I act, it's usually to go... Because I live in New Jersey now, so it's to go into the city and I take the train. So Uh a lot of the time... I'm not driving a lot of the time, to be honest. Got you. Which is why I decided to do freelance work on top of acting work, because it was easier. And I mean, I have moments all the time where I think... Am I, well, as you said, kind of this, am I making it up? Is this fake? All of that. And luckily I have great people in my life who are like, no, what you're feeling is valid. And that's what I try and say on my podcast as a reminder to myself, but as a reminder to listeners, is that what we're feeling is valid. Mm -hmm. And I think, oh, there she goes. I have to, I have to think about what we were just talking about. Yeah. So I mean yeah I I freelance to give myself space. I I always worry <laughs> it's I always worry that I am not working hard enough or I don't have enough stamina to work and Martin mm-hmm. my partner is constantly like it's the chronic illness. You're tired because of the chronic illness. It's not like right. you're you're a lazy person or whatever but we're also trying to get kind of lazy out of our vocabulary and <laughs> cuz I I have I have a real issue with not doing work and i think it it goes back to high school and college and constantly working and doing stuff and i recently got my master's degree and i when i graduated i felt like i had nothing to do right. i all of a sudden my schedule opened up and it felt like what what am i going to do now and a, a lot of the people in my life were like rest rest you haven't rested since you were diagnosed Mm-hmm. Like, take some time to take a break and take care of yourself. But there's something in my mind that's like, if I'm taking a break, then I'm not being productive, even though rest is absolutely productive. Right. So that that is why I have <laughs> – I, I stay at home most days and try to relax, but most of the time I'm just taking on more and more projects because – that's we had a little back
1: and forth about that actually I don't know if you remember but you opposed the question um is is laziness real I believe you know oh, yeah, or is it like yeah. this con- Does construct exist? the societal yeah, construct yeah. and I was like um yeah it's real <laughs> and you were like well well explain that to me why do you think that it's real yeah. and so we had a little back and forth about it so
0: yeah I
1: remember um so what's difficult for you be- when you look at yourself in the mirror you look absolutely like everybody else right yeah. it's not like you're a wheelchair user it's not like you're you know have a limb difference and so it's this it, this is hard right mm-hmm. but we know that most people that have a disability have an invisible disability yeah so it's interesting because there seems to be this level of self stigma around it mm-hmm. like am, am, do i really eat? Am I lazy, or do I really have fatigue? Yes, right. and but but also, how do other people treat you because they look at you and think that there's nothing wrong with you? How, how do you deal with that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's still hard to this day. It was really hard in the beginning when I didn't quite know how to how to deal with it. Um, I remember being at school, and it, it was just this feeling that people, and who knows, maybe I'm projecting this onto others, but this feeling of, oh, is she really sick? Oh, she's always right. sick. Oh, she she always has something. There's always something mm-hmm. with her. I mean, I had a family member who I was talking to that. I think I was taking medication and they were saying, oh, well, your thing isn't really... It, it's not. It's not really that big of a big of a deal. I mean, look at your brother. Look what your brother has to deal with. I. Mm. That is so so intense, and y- yours just isn't like that. And I remember right. thinking. I remember feeling so bad. I cried about it. I was like, "What are you? Mm-hmm. Am, am I just blowing this out of proportion? Do I just want pity? Do I want comfort? Do I need that?" instead of realizing that he just had no idea what I was going through because it wasn't shown on my body or, yeah. So, I I mean, I still struggle with it, hearing people talk about it that way or knowing that when I go out or when I have issues talking or when I forget things, people aren't going to immediately think, oh, that must be her rare neurological condition. They're, They're just thinking, oh, why is she forgetting her words? Why can't she remember? Why is she twitching in the corner (laughs) like what what is what is happening there and so I I mean that's why I'm so passionate about talking about it Mm -hmm. because for a long time I felt it was that imposter syndrome of am I even disabled can I even consider myself a part of this community because am I quote-unquote disabled enough Mm -hmm. instead of just recognizing that what I was going through was valid (laughs) and and I think that's that's why I'm so passionate with talking about it, because I think there is so much more. I sorry, I just had this thought this. I just remembered something where my cousin's wife became pretty ill after giving birth to her child. And everyone in my family was like, oh, She's just not doing well. She's just, like, really tired and sick. Uh, She's just not handling it well. And I remember thinking, okay, I wonder why that is. And then I later talked to her, and she had been diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. And nobody thought to to say that and to source that as her reason for, like, pain and discomfort and tiredness. And I remember thinking in that moment, I was like, oh... That's, that's why I do this. So people right. can recognize these diseases. And when they're spoken about, they have some weight to them. It's not just like, mm-hmm. oh, that, those are a bunch of words I don't understand. And so if I don't see it, then you must be fine. It can't be that bad. And so I oh. remember thinking, oh, my gosh, she's going through so much. And all people chalk it up to is, oh, she's just really tired. Right. I was like, ah, oh, that that frustrates me so much hearing that and knowing that like she had to go through that and go through having to try to explain and try to validate uh-huh. what she was going through to people that didn't even care to to understand. But yeah, that <laughs> that was kind of a sidetrack story, but it just no. Fueling the fire.
1: <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's why that story was meant to be, because I didn't know if I wanted to mention this. You were, but it, it all connects. So you're talking about EDS. I had a I had a previous um, guest who had EDS. Mm-hmm. And she eventually had to use a wheelchair, right? Because it's something that uh, over time, you know, she became more and more stretchy, as she says. (laughs) Um, But she can stand, right? And so Mm -hmm. she was like at a grocery store using her wheelchair and she stood up to get something. And, you know, somebody made some snide remark like she was faking. And and it it, it made her spin into this... do I need it? Am I not working hard enough so I don't have to use this wheelchair or you, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and this complete stranger who knows nothing about you puts you in this spin of self-doubt and and you know, judging yourself. And so it's just it, it's hard when you have to fight, you know, even like you, listening to your past episodes, you have to fight medical professionals. Strangers, family, and then eventually you end up fighting yourself, yeah. right? On on how valid you're feeling if it's if it's correct or not. Yeah. So anyway, how much? How many challenges have you had with the medical profession in particular?
0: Uh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> A lot. Um, yeah. Yeah i I have. It's been a difficult journey with the medical profession, and i I hate to like just dis- because I know it's a lot of work and people study for years and years and years to be doctors and all of that stuff, but I come back to the thought that not everyone can be an expert in every area of the body and of medicine. Right. And honestly, a lot of the times I have gone to the ER, I don't really go to the ER anymore, even when mm-hmm. I have like a bad brain episode. I, I apparently in my Bad Brain episodes, I tell people don't call an ambulance, don't take wow. me to the ER because I guess in the recess of my brain that there's this this thought of, oh, I can't go there because they're not going to know what to do because they, they can They can't really do anything for it. The amount of times I've gone into an ER and had doctors ask me what IIH is or I had a doctor come back and say, OK, I just looked up what IIH is and i was like okay that does not strike confidence <laughs> <laughs> in my heart right but or but then it's always it's always funny cuz when i run into a doctor who knows or who asks if i have a shunt with brain surgery or things like that i'm like oh they they know they actually know what this is and i feel like being shocked by that is not right. <laughs> not the greatest thing to be feeling when going to the doctor but yeah i there's been a lot of a lot of ups and downs with finding help, and I mean, when I was first diagnosed, they were reluctant to diagnose me with it. And even months after, when I went to a neuroophthalmologist, he was like, mm, "I think they might have misdiagnosed you." Hmm. And of course, I was like, "What? Then what is it? Like, what could right. it possibly be?" And so that's kind of how it is when I go to doctors until I find a doctor that I really like. But then the problem is I've moved so much. So I moved from Vegas to New Jersey, and then I was living half in Vegas, half in New Jersey during my college experience. And then I lived in London for a year, and then now I'm back in New Jersey. So it's been um, a lot of moving around and a lot of shifting with doctors and things like that. And so I haven't quite found another team that makes me feel comfortable again. And I mean, it's it's really hard going into doctors and having a list of things, r- r- I, not wrong with you, but a list of things, of diagnoses right. that y- you just come in and you're like, okay, this is what I have. <laughs> like, of course, I've done research on it. I know I'm not an expert, but this is it. And I don't quite know where to go from here. But it's hard retelling everything, like every traumatic health experience you've had to multiple people. And a lot of the times not having them quite understand or believe or think you're exaggerating Mm -hmm. Um, so that it's it's been it's been a roller coaster with with that. And I I I don't know if it'll get better. (laughs) (laughs) I think I'll get better at advocating for myself and I think I have gotten better. Uh-huh. And I ha- I bring people who can advocate for me as well because I kind of get like blank brained when I go into the doctors where I get mm. I get, like really nervous with authority. And so I just kind of forget what I want to ask and forget what I want to tell them symptom wise. And so I'll write like lists and have people come with me and help me. But it definitely gotten better in that aspect. So maybe I'm growing, but now we just need <laughs> the other side to to grow as well. <laughs>
1: So how are how are things going for you today as far as like acting? And are you managing it enough? Do you have to use any kind of accommodations? Do you tell the people you're working for what to expect? So what's happening?
0: Yeah. So part of the freelance stuff I do is I do a lot of voiceover work. And mm-hmm. luckily, that's something that I can control. And so I can still be acting, but I can, especially with COVID, I yeah. can um, do it from home and I have a studio setup and a microphone. I just got a new mic. I'm very excited about it. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, there's... So I have some control over that. So I don't really disclose things with that situation because they're pretty quick and done in a way. It's kind of done on my own time, so I choose that schedule. So that's, like, a nice... That's a nice way to deal with that. But when it comes to acting in shows, which I'm actually in a show now that will be in New York like, outside performance. Uh, it's a production of Twelfth Night, a Shakespeare show. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a little harder when it comes to... I, I'm i not nervous to disclose... I mean, I am nervous to disclose that information. There is a part of me that's like, oh, what if they find out that I have memory issues or that I could possibly potentially have brain a brain episode like the day before or during a show, which has happened. Yeah. Um and so that makes me really nervous, but so far the people I'm working with are very lovely. They're excellent. I will probably I haven't disclosed it yet, but I probably will end up mentioning it. I oh. I hate to come in very hot with it, but I also <laughs> <laughs> I also yeah. think it's important to tell them cuz I don't I don't want to I mean, I don't legally have to tell them. Um right. but I I usually like to just so people know what's going on or if I have like little issues here and there. They kind of know why it's happening as opposed mm-hmm. to just thinking, oh, something's going on there. But yeah, I usually I, li- I like to tell them. And I remember someone and I had a wonderful classmate in college in my master's program. I had a day where I was very, very emotional thinking, I can't, how am I supposed to do this? How does someone with a memory issue and issues physically that can cause like episodes on stage how how can i be in this profession how is that mm-hmm. even possible and i remember my friend saying we're going to make it happen you will be an actor whether we have to create our own theater company with our own shows and our own filming product like he was like you're you're going to act right and i think that was when i realized oh If I'm surrounding myself with the right people and auditioning for the right kinds of shows with people who care and care about the art rather than just the profit, Mm -hmm. then I think I will be okay. And I think I can go forward with this and do well and be successful.
1: Right. Yeah. Yay. That makes me very happy. Yeah. Um, both what your friend said and the fact that you are working and in, in where you want to work. That's yeah. the passion that you have. So before I get to the personal questions, your podcast, like what is what is your goal? You've talked a little bit about already. We, we talked about that you, you needed to get this out, right? You needed to get this educational piece out and, and just talk about it. But, but what, what else is like your mission of your podcast?
0: Yeah. I mean, I always said that... If this helps anybody, then it's worth it. And if that person that it helps is me, then that's worth it. Like, even if the only person it helps is me by me getting to talk about it and figure it out myself with my listeners, um, then that that is fine. If, if it's just me listening. Right. Luckily, I do have people who listen, um, so that's nice. But <laughs> they... I mean I had a friend who came up to me and she was going through some stuff and she told me that when I told her that her pain was valid in the beginning of her journey then that that changed the entire trajectory to getting her diagnosis which she now yeah. has and I cuz I I mean I go through it where I'm like is this even worth it do people even find this interesting is this am I am I informing people cuz at the end of the day I just I just want to make this a better place and like Bring awareness to people and myself, and so it helps me learn a lot too about ableism and about those areas that I was kind of aware of, but not really aware of, and like what we have internal, like internalized within ourselves and minorities. I mean, it's opened up my worldview worldview by tenfold, and yeah. if I can just offer a a glimpse of that, a little bit of that to listeners, or even if it's a little bit of solace or people listen to an episode now I'm interviewing people so they can kind of I can kind of open up and expand a bit to other areas because I can really only talk about so many things like from a personal point of view Um, so now opening it up to other people who might have gone through different things and it's just reaching people and bringing voices to this and bringing awareness so that we can become better as a society and that we can change and we can grow and it's going to take time like I don't expect things to shift immediately and I know we've come a long way but there's still so much to go and still so much further to travel so I think that's kind of why
1: yeah hey I love I was listening to one of your I think it was like your third episode and you said (laughs) It made me laugh so much. You were like, so if you guys have any questions, you can, she's like, and then you were like, you know what, only my friends listen to me. So just text me and ask me your questions. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) And I love the thought of like, you know, people listening to your podcast and like they have your phone number. So they're texting you. Anyway, I thought it was hilarious. Um, So I'm sure you have more listeners than that. Now that was very early on. So okay the fun questions yes um because you're an actress uh i have some questions around that if they were to make a movie about you what actor or actress would you want to play you in the movie and it can be anybody in history it could be a cartoon character for all i care who would who would play you in the, the movie of your life
0: um me (laughs) <laughs> no let me uh, let me come up with something creative um huh oh gosh
1: you're like i need the work
0: <laughs> yeah that's how I, i'm like if they're gonna pay then it'll be me baby <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know there are so many there's so many good actors out there See, the person who popped into my head isn't an actor um, okay. immediately. It's just my okay. like one of my favorite musicians, David Byrne.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> but I feel like he'd do a really interesting job. I feel like it'd be like this really weird avant-garde version of my life through like noises and song. Okay. And it would be like on a blank white canvas with david byrne playing every character in my life
1: see I ask like an artist a simple question <laughs> and this is the answer you get.
0: <laughs> this it's is, just because i can't think why, of any actor
1: <laughs> but this is why you do what you do you created an entirely <laughs> new scenario i love it and so that actually is kind of my it may, it may this may be the answer to my second question which is i actually wanted three people who would be on the soundtrack Oh, three musicians that would be on the soundtrack in your movie.
0: So David Byrne, okay, obviously. Who else do I like to listen to? Oh, I really like an artist named Laura Marling. Okay, she's just has beautiful songs that I like to sing. Um, and then, Billie Holiday.
1: Oh, yeah. wonderful! It'd be All an right, interesting
0: soundtrack, but it'd be something.
1: It would. No, it'd be a perfect soundtrack. Um, look, Maddie, thank you so so much for coming on. I didn't let you ask me any questions. You see how I did that? I totally tricked <laughs> you. <laughs> That's fine. We were like, we'll just we'll just ask each other Let's questions. Chat. <laughs>